Amen. Amen. Thank you, Seth and Maggie. Good morning, Mercy Hill. How are we doing? May is upon us. They say May flowers, but it's like May weeds in my house. I don't know. Is anybody else's house like that? Me, Aaron's is. <laughs> We're neighbors. Um, his is worse than mine. Uh, well, my name is Timmy, and I am the, the salt director here at Mercy Hill Church. I work yeah, in our college ministry, and I can't believe year one for us is done, in the books, as Dylan says, in the books, in the books. Um, there really has been just so, so many incredible things to celebrate, and uh, we have just been blown away. So excited for next year. We are glad that we're established, uh, yeah, at Mercy Hill and, and for the campuses. And so um, some of you may know this about me, but I grew up way down south in Louisiana, the third of, of four children. Yes, woo, for Louisiana. And woo, for the third, anybody else a third of four? Yes, a couple. Well, I was the third of four, but then six years ago, my parents actually uh, adopted uh, a young boy who is seven years old. His name is Caden, and I was 20 years old at the time, and this was a really big adjustment for our family and a really big adjustment for, for Caden as well. You see, Caden grew up in a, a pretty traumatic uh, background. He, he's never met his biological father. He spent the majority of his life pretty much bouncing around from house to house, never had his, his own room. His bed was just a mattress on, on the floor. And when he was seven years old, um, he came, you know, overnight to live with my family. And just like that, he, he inherited a, a mumsy and a pops. All right, that's what he calls my parents, mumsy and pops. And um, four siblings that at the time were, I think we were 16 to, to 26 was, was our range. And so... Um, you know, and, and you could imagine just like for the first time, the, the seven-year-old, like having his own room and actually having like a real bed to sleep on. My parents even, um, you know, l- let him pick out his, his own comforter that he wanted, which like these are things that he was never able to do. And, you know, my mom wanted him to get like some, some comforter, obviously, to like match the curtains and stuff that was like blue and brown or whatever. But my dad's kind of pointed at Avengers and you can imagine what the seven-year-old chose. And so he still has Avengers to this day, but, um, Caden, he had to make adjustments for sure along this way, but, but pretty quickly he became, um, you know, to feel like he's actually a part of the family. And so I want to ask you guys this question. Do you, ever, do you ever wonder if you're actually a part of the family of God? How can you know for sure? How do we deal with a, with a heart and a conscience that says things like, you did that? Like, there's no way that you're a Christian. The thing that you thought, man, I was never capable of doing that. You did that. There's no way that God still loves you. There's no way that God can still forgive you after what you've done. And our conscience just screams things at us like you're a fake or you're a failure. There's no way that God accepts you. See, this morning we're going to be talking about assurance. Assurance, not insurance, assurance. Okay? And, uh, if you've been with us, we've been going through 1 John, and this is actually something that, that John has, has been talking about a lot. Because we're never to just assume that we are in Christ. We're never to just hope that we are or guess that we are. God wants us to know that we are. He wants us to be absolutely certain that we are at peace with God and, we, where, and that we know where we stand, whether we're a child of God or not. He wants us to experience assurance in Christ. And so nowhere in the Bible will it say to just pray for assurance or just, you know, make some decision to have assurance and all of a sudden you have it. 
and then suddenly it appears? See, God's word teaches that assurance is not just some, some static position that we're in, or it's not some decision we make, but assurance is actually an active process in which we go on experiencing confidence with God through Jesus Christ. Write that down. Assurance is an active process in which we go on experiencing confidence with God through Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in our text this morning as we, as we finish up chapter 3 of 1 John. That's where we're headed. Now, again, if you've been with us as we've been going through 1 John, this is no, this is no new topic. John's been talking about this for the last several chapters. And so I just want to read, reread some of the things that we've already covered. And so chapter 2, verse 3, here's what John said. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, that's Christ, if we keep his commandments. Chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 29, same chapter, he says, if you know that he is righteous, that's God, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 10, he says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Last week we saw this verse. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers who whoever does not love abides in death so john shows us that obedience and practicing uh righteousness and love these are these are markers of belonging to god that you're actually in god's family but do we just do these things and we try to practice these things and then suddenly we have assurance i'd say no John talks about us practicing these things, practicing love, practicing righteousness, and practicing obeying Christ and his word as evidence that we're in Christ. But what happens in life as we give attention to these things? In our own life. Think about your own life. What happens in your own life when you give attention to these things? We blow it. We fail miserably. And then we try to measure our righteousness and we realize we're actually not very godly. And that we don't actually live life that much like Christ after all. And so in this process, what can happen is we begin to doubt where we actually stand with God. Because we're not measuring up to the level that we think that we should. I remember when I was, this was, when I was, I was a Christian and I was at LSU uh, my senior year. And I was sitting with my college pastor at the time and he was onboarding me for a, a staff position that he was hiring me for in our college ministry. We were at Chipotle. And, and then this, this kid who was a freshman at LSU walks in. His name was Jesse, and he was, he was not a believer. He's not a Christian. But he had met some girls in our college ministry who had been inviting him to, to refuge. And um, he was pretty antagonistic towards Christianity. And so he recognized our college pastor and came up to us and kind of interrupted us as we were talking through our stuff and began to ask him questions or whatever. And and they're kind of talking. I'm not saying much. And then all of a sudden, he, he looks at me and recognizes me and says, wait, you? You're a Christian? Do you? I did not think you were a Christian. And my heart just, like, sinks. And I, felt, I was like, what are you? Then I realized, yeah, I had met this kid a couple weeks prior to this. And we had met playing soccer at the rec. And I was probably a little turd and probably said some things that I shouldn't or just wasn't very loving. And he, said, he looked at me and he said, you? You're a Christian? And at that moment, I felt embarrassed. I felt shame. 
And I felt, man, am I, am I a fake? And even last week, the last verse we looked at in verse 18, John says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The reality is, guys, this verse begs the question, what if we don't? What happens when we don't? What happens when we don't love like Christ calls us to? So I have some good news for us. And here's the first point of encouragement that John has for us this morning is that God conquers the heart to bring assurance. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down too. God conquers the heart to bring assurance. Let's look at verse 19. This is our text. He says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. That's God. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. We live in a world that says statements like, just follow your heart. What does your heart tell you? Just, I like, anybody ever heard that in a movie, right? Like, there's that, like, classic scene where it's like, what does your heart tell you? And it, you know, seems all deep and, like, philosophical and intellectual and smart. Okay, you know what God says about the heart? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, John, what, John doesn't want us to be ruled by our hearts or our conscience because our emotions, they go up and down. He wants us to instead be ruled by God and his word and the truths of what he says, not what we necessarily tell ourselves. He wants us to have a steady faith, to be sure, to be confident. The reality is, as followers of Jesus, guys, there's times where we live outside our true identity as a, as a child of God, and our lives don't look like Christ. And in those moments, we can begin to doubt whether or not we're truly saved. But what John wants us to see is that even in that doubt, God is greater than what our hearts are telling us. Notice in verse 20, he says, for whenever our hearts condemn us, you see that phrase, for whenever our hearts condemn us, we need to ask the question, why do our hearts condemn us? Why do we feel condemned by our conscience and our hearts? And the reason is because we fail to obey our Lord. Our lives don't always look like Christ. We don't love like Christ. We get selfish. We operate out of our flesh. There's times where I treat my wife like she's dirt. And maybe you've walked in here this morning and you're feeling pretty condemned by your conscience and your heart. Maybe it's something you did this last week and something you did last night. Maybe something you've looked at is just weighing on you. And it's different than conviction. Conviction is a good thing that comes from God's spirit that, that you know, leads us to repentance. But this is shame. It's just shame-driven. And on top of that, our enemy, the devil, our adversary, is just speaking lies and slinging them at you that say, you're a failure, you're not enough, there's no way God still loves you after that. I can't believe you did that. In these moments, guys, John wants us to realize that God is greater than what you feel or what you did. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. He says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and we are sure our hearts before him. God wants us to know and be certain where we stand with him. And he says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. 
Listen to me, Mercy Hill. God knows our hearts so much better than we do. He knows your flaws. He knows the sin that's in your life that you're hiding. He knows the sin that's in your life that you're not even aware of yourself. But guess what else he knows? He knows who belong to him. He knows who are his. Remember what, what Paul said to Timothy when he was encouraging him in 2 Timothy? He said, the Lord knows which people belong to him, which people are his. And that's why God is greater than our hearts. And he conquers our heart because he doesn't let us flower when we begin to sit in that condemnation and that shame. And so how? How does he do that? Well, he takes us back to the grace that we've experienced in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That we're not right with God based on things that we've done, but we're right because of what Christ has done on the cross on our behalf. Amen. You see, when John says that God is greater than our hearts, here's what he means. Our hearts aren't the final judge. God overrules them. He sees all, he knows all, and no matter how we feel, what God has forgiven, that stands forgiven. God knows everything, all the depths of our sin as well as the depths of Christ's atoning work in our place. And so this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. What we need to realize, guys, is that God is the judge and he sees all. And those who are Christ are no longer enemies of God, but they've been adopted into his family. And they're saved. That those in Christ are redeemed and they're no longer condemned. They're in the family of God. One of the best things about being in a family is, is, is the closeness that you can experience in, in, in some of those relationships, whether it's with your parents or with your siblings. You can experience some incredible intimacy. But you know what one of the worst things is the opposite of that that you can experience with those relationships. Maybe you know what I'm talking about right now, but there's times where you have conflict and it can lead to just anger and distance and stress and hurt. I remember, for me, one of the biggest fights I ever got with my dad was whenever we were in high school. And it was actually, it was after a church service on a Sunday, and we were eating at some restaurant. It was me, my mom, and my brother, and my dad. And I don't even remember what the fight was about, but my dad said something, and I just got frustrated. I was like, I'm leaving. And I, like, got up and, and, and left and walked out to the parking lot. And we had already ordered our food, and it hadn't come, come out yet or whatever. So I walked away, and I was just like, I'm not going back home. And then I realized I know how to spite him. And I, like, went out, and I grabbed the $20 bill out of my car, and then I walked back in. And as I'm walking in, my mom, and we joke a lot in our family, and they, like, look at me, and they're like, they start laughing, thinking that I'm being dramatic or whatever. Like, he's back one minute later. And I just slapped the 20 bill on the, the table and then just rolled out. And I didn't talk to my dad for two days. So worst fight. It was horrible. It was the worst fight we've ever gotten. I didn't come home for two days. And in that moment, guys, it was horrible. It, it was awful not being able to, to be in right relationship with my dad, to be able to talk and joke how we normally do, to be able to laugh together. But on the other hand, guys, even, even you know, when we were in our worst moment, I still knew deep down that we're family. 
and that nothing can change that. And so more so, guys, this isn't an uh, earthly relationship, more so with our creator, with God the Father. Once he adopts us into his family, we're sealed and we're saved. And nothing can separate us from the love that we have in Christ. This is what he promises us in his word. And his word also says that he can't lie. Now look at what John says next in verse 21. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Here's our second point. Confidence with God leads to greater God dependence. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Confidence with God leads to greater God dependence. There is a beautiful and natural flow to the argument that John is making here. The sense of what he's saying is this, is that when we trust the judgment of our conscience to God, who knows everything, our confidence shifts from being based on our experience and how we feel to being based to what he says in his word and the truth that he's promised. And his word says, Romans 8, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Like, we may feel when we're living in sin, and when we're in sin, we may feel condemnation, and you may hear lies from the enemies that you are condemned and that, that you are guilty before God, but that's not the truth. The truth is because of Christ, if you're in Christ, that God looks at you and he declares you holy and blameless. And when we meditate on that, what that leads to is us being able to go to God with boldness and with confidence, not as the accused before a judge, but as a son before a father in whom he's loved. And as our confidence and love with God continues to grow, the natural result is this, guys, is that our desire begins to shift to depend on him more and more and more. And here's the promise, verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, we got to be careful with a verse like this because I think too many of us can shift into this mindset of, like, prosperity gospel. And we hear that a lot in our culture, that, that if we follow Jesus, then he'll, he'll give us all the bells and whistles that we want and the health and wealth. Or a lot of us can often view God as some kind of vending machine that I go to God, you know, whenever I need something and I insert my prayer and immediately I expect instant results. And then when they don't come, I want to kick the machine. You ever put money in a vending machine before and it, and it doesn't work and takes your money? It's happened to me once. It's awful, okay? Uh, this is not what John is talking about, okay? Prayer is not designed to compound hoarded treasures for ourselves, this is not some transaction where I do some good thing. He talks about commands here, which we're going to find out are believing in Jesus and loving those around us. It's not that we do those things, and the more that we do those, then God all of a sudden owes us. God doesn't owe us anything. You can't earn any of this. John has not given us a you do this and God will do this, but rather obedience is the fruit of a life that's experiencing assurance in Christ and confidence with God becomes more and more evident as we treasure his commandments, which then leads us, guys, to go to approach God boldly in prayer as we pray towards things that we're, we're seeking his kingdom, like that song just talked about, not our own, like the verses we just read in Colossians. 
That we go after the things that God wants, not the things that we want, because our lives aren't our own anymore. I love how Charles Spurgeon talked about these verses. He said, childlike confidence makes us pray as none else can. It makes a man pray for great things, which he would never have asked for if he had not learned this confidence. And makes him pray for little things, which a great many are afraid to ask for, because they have not yet felt towards God the confidence of children. The man of obedience is the man whom God will hear, because his obedient heart leads him to, listen to this, pray humbly and with submission, for he feels it to be his highest desire that the Lord's will should be done. So when God promises that he'll give us whatever we ask, here's the idea. Is that the closer we walk in obedience to Christ and the more we set our minds on the things that he's about in his word, then the more we'll begin to ask for the right things. Ask for the things that God wants to give us that are best for us. Ask for the things that equip us to do his work so that Christ is most glorified in us. That's the idea. It's not... It's not, prayer is not about me changing God's will to match mine, but actually I'm asking God to change my will to match his. And here's our last point. The way of assurance follows his commandment. You can write that down. The way of assurance follows his commandment. I'll unpack that in a second. Look at verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now, I'm referring to the way of assurance here because that's kind of how John has, has unpacked this argument. You'll notice that conjunction and We've seen it all throughout John. He says, and by this, and, and. And look at verse 23. He says, and this is his commandment. He's showing us that he's joining together these previous statements. And so the first one is that God is conquering our hearts to bring assurance. The second is that this, this joyous confidence that we now have in Christ, what that does that leads us to depend on Christ more, not ourselves, not something else. And lastly now, he's saying, here's the action. He calls it his commandment or Christ's commandment. And this is the process. This is the way that assurance continues in our lives. He says, look at this, believe in Jesus and love one another. Aren't we so quick to sometimes overcomplicate things? And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. This is really like the essence of the, the Christian life right here. Now, there's two parts of this commandment. Right? The first is, is believe in Jesus. And now when it says that, it's not saying that we go and we pick and choose the things in the Bible that we like about Jesus, and we, we'll take those. But the part about that, that, you know, once I trust in Jesus, my life's not mine any, anymore. Yeah, I'll lay that aside. I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. We don't get to pick and choose the things that we like about Jesus. We trust Jesus and what the word says about him and what he proclaims in the word, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
and that no one can come to the Father except through him. We trust that his perfect life and his death and his resurrection was enough to bridge the gap between us and God. We trust that he is Lord. We trust that he is risen. We trust that he's coming back one day, and we live in that reality. That's what it means to believe in him, that we believe in his son, and we count on his promises in the gospel. So again, assurance isn't going to be found by you doing some kind of mental gymnastics in your head to make some kind of decision or pray some prayer, and then, and, then, and then you feel like you have a right standing with God. Assurance is found by looking to Christ. It's found by anchoring your trust in Jesus, and it's found by seeing what he has accomplished on the cross on your behalf, and that when he said it was finished, he truly meant it is finished. The work's been paid for. It's done. Assurance is found in trusting him. And Christian, this is why it's so important to practice the spiritual disciplines and spend time in God's word. This is why we regularly gather as Mercy Hill Church, and we encourage you guys to read your Bible on your own, and we teach the Bible here, and we sing about the promises and God's word here. Like too many times I've had, I've had conversations with people who are struggling with assurance, and then I'll, I'll just ask them, what's your time with God been? Have you been guarding your time in his word? No, I haven't really had much time for that. Now, well, do you want to experience assurance? You're not going to find it by living a life of abstaining from God's word. It'd be like if you asked me, Tim, how's your relationship with Lindsay? I said, it's pretty good. We don't ever talk. I mean, she tries to talk to me a lot, but I don't ever listen. We're doing great. Like, if I ever say that, slap me in the face. You have my permission, and I'm sure you have Lindsay's permission wherever she is. She would, <laughs> she would love that. Um, please don't ever say that, Tim. <laughs> um, but you'll notice, guys, that, that you're not going to find assurance if you don't continually... Fix your eyes on Christ and what he's done. If you don't abide in him, you're not going to experience much assurance. That's the primary way that God will speak to you is through his word. Your loving father has written you 66 love letters. You should read them and study them and memorize them and hide them on your heart. Because we forget. We forget those promises. Our fleshly default is to look for something else to put our confidence in and something else to trust in. And we waver. And it's going to be a battle. And God's word says that we need to make every effort until one day we're in heaven and we'll be in glory where there will be no more suffering and where there will be no more sin. But until then, we make every effort and we fix our eyes on Christ and what he's done. Like, you don't graduate from the gospel. That's why you're going to hear it every single week here at Mercy Hill. Maybe today you need to hear it for the first time. Maybe your whole life you've been thinking that you're right with God based on things that you've done and your, your efforts that you've put towards being kind to others and those around you. You can't earn God's favor and God's love. There is no other way apart from Christ, but praise God, there is a way in Christ and that he's paid it all. So you repent and believe in Jesus and you're saved. 
you begin to experience assurance knowing that when God looks at you, he will declare you holy and blameless and he'll invite you into his family. Now notice the second part of this commandment. John says, not only do we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, but also that we love one another. The gospel has not only made us right with God on the vertical, but also we're now in the family. It works in our hearts and then begins to propel us outwards to love those around us. This kind of agape, self-sacrificial love that Dylan talked about last week, that's humble, that seeks others best, not our own. And God can command this type of love for his children because he's given it to us in Christ. And verse 24 says that those who are in Christ, the Spirit abides in them. We have his Spirit, which now enables us and empowers us to begin to walk in this new life, to begin to respond in gentleness and be obedient to Christ. The man who doesn't have the Spirit cannot please God. He can't practice righteousness. So God hasn't called us to live some kind of way in Christ and then just abandon us and said, go figure it out. He's given us one another. He's given us his spirit. We have the same power that Christ had. So abide. Spend time in his word. Spend time in fellowship with one another. You don't find assurance and isolation from the church. Instead, guys, John tells us that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus and love his people. And it's in this process of believing Jesus and loving others that assurance grows into a lively reality of our daily life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work of Christ on my behalf and our behalf. That even when we were in rebellion to you, even when we were running from you and wanting nothing to do with you, Lord, you sent your son to live the life we were required to and take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And in exchange, Lord, we've been granted his righteousness that he earned. And so now as children of God, who you're fully pleased with because of Christ, we can boldly approach your throne of grace and mercy holding to that confession that Jesus' work was enough. And Lord, would you begin to change our minds and our hearts to burn for the things that you're passionate about, not the things that we used to be before we knew you. Or where we would seek your kingdom and we would seek to love those around us, not so that we would be loved by you, but Lord, in response to the love that you've shown us in Christ. And would the world in Cincinnati look at Mercy Hill Church and the people in it, and they would begin to ask, what is different about them? And Lord, we would be so quick to point to Jesus. Because, God, we want Christ exalted. This life's not about us. Mercy Hill's not about us. It's about you and your glory and your name being known all throughout earth. That's what we want, God. So change our hearts, transform our minds, renew them, Lord. Help us to encourage one another and respond differently than the world does.
because they don't know you, but we do. Lord, we want everyone to know you. We love you, God. We praise you. We worship you this morning. Amen.